Welcome listeners to a special discussion podcast. In this podcast, we are discussing the 2017 Best Picture of the Year Academy Award nominations. So basically how this podcast will go is we will start with number nine. Yes, there were nine. They ended on an odd number for whatever reason. There was yeah, there was eight last year. I was expecting 10 for some reason, so when I came to do my list, I was like, wait, what am I missing? Yeah, this is not a top 10 list. This is just a top 9. Right, so we're going to start with these. Uh, We're going to start with number 9, and we're going to just briefly, this is not going to be a review of all 9 films in one major podcast. Uh, We briefly just kind of want to discuss our order um, from least to greatest of which which we liked the least and which we liked best, I guess you could say. Yep. Um, and at the end of the podcast, we're going to um, just give a list of IMDb's highest rated to lowest rated of the Best Picture nominees. So without further ado, let's get into talking about these. Huh? Alan, what is your number nine pick for the nominations? All right. Well, for me, number nine, probably Hidden Figures. I mean, okay, I want to say this right now. For me, I don't think there is, of the nine films that have been released, I don't think there's a bad film here, in my opinion. But I do feel like Hidden Figures is the least, the one, okay, it was the one that I did not like the most. I mean, overall, it was a, it was a pretty good film. You know, I I wasn't a big fan of, like, all the pop stuff, like, all the Fair Williams music, whatever. But, I mean, I can get past that. But I think my biggest problem is probably that it's just really preachy. And it has good themes. It's nothing, none of the themes in there are really inconsistent or they're just not good or they're not handled very well. They're handled every, the movie's construction is just fine. The problem is his presentation is it's kind of preachy. And the themes that it brings in are good themes or good and relevant themes, you know, themes of feminism and like racial discrimination, you know, like all the, those are all good themes and stuff. The, the problem is, is that it, it's just really preachy. There's not much subtlety to it, you know. And it is really PG, and I do feel like there are a lot of things that they kind of just gloss over, like the relationship that the main character has, you know. I really enjoyed the opening shots, like the opening scene with them on the side of the road and the police officer pulls up. I thought, I was like, wow, this actually looks really good. You know, I was actually kind of hyped to see what was going to happen after this, you know. But then I was kind of let down by the rest of the film because it, well, I feel like the opening scene was the best part. Not not to say that this film was bad. Like I said, I don't think there's a bad film here. It just didn't engage me. I that was my biggest problem. It just didn't engage me. You know, I feel like I was kind of just being preached to. Like this is this is what the film was trying to say. You know, so I mean, it's still, for me, it's the seven out of ten. I'd say it's. I still give it a recommend. It's pretty a pretty solid one. But yeah, I just this one I feel like was probably the weakest out of all of them. It didn't impact me as the other ones did. My number nine. Which is kind of surprising, I guess, because it won Best Picture of the Year. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I, I saw this one coming. <laughs> yes. Moonlight won Best Picture of the Year. But for me, it was my least favorite out of all of these choices. Not because the acting was bad or the story was bad, per se. Um... My biggest issue probably with this movie is it had these like really deep themes, I guess, of exploring your sexuality, 
um, nature versus nurture, um, tabula rosa. Um, do you start out as a blank slate? Are you predetermined this way? And I just felt like the movie moved too quickly. Like, instead of, like, seeing him at, like, three different stages of his life, I would have preferred to have just stuck with maybe one stage. Because when he was that little kid, I was like, okay, yes, we're we're getting into the meat of what's going on in his environment and within himself. But then we jumped ahead, and I was like, okay, I got to kind of connect with this new actor. I don't know. It's just hard to, like, you, like, connect but then you kind of like have to reconnect like at another phase of his life. And then you had to connect again. And I don't know, like that didn't really mesh very well for me. So I don't know. I just, I saw what they were trying to do, but I just felt like we needed maybe a much longer movie, maybe like a three hour movie or something, exploratory movie of this boy's life. Um, then I could have got into it more. Otherwise, I just felt like a little shortchanged in a way because it's like, don't like set me up with these like really deep themes and situations. And then I personally, people can really disagree with me on this. That's fine. I just wanted to delve deeper. Yeah. So, and just to also kind of give some more clarification on the rules. When we both talk about the same film, then we'll dispute it. Right. So like say they give reasons like his made number nine for Moonlight. Mine obviously isn't number nine, so when I get to Moonlight, then I'll then we'll both dispute, but then I'll give my reasons, and then we'll maybe have a little bit of a discussion as to why we think that this is this this film deserves this spot in our list. So because because I I did I felt shortchanged by Moonlight, and because of those issues I just listed, I I just feel like I can't recommend this movie. Maybe my rating's a little drastic, but when I see what it was up against and just the magnificent filmmaking from these other movies, I gave Moonlight a 4 out of 10. So, number 8. Number 8 for me, this might come as a shock to you, actually. Number 8 for me is actually Fences. Now, I have read the play. I had to read it for a class, so this movie was not a surprise going in. And I, I figured that was going to be the case. I, didn't, I doubted they were going to change anything with it. And... Although this film is pretty low on the list, I would say that this is probably the one of the best acted, if not the best acted films on this list. Which is, I guess you can kind of consider cheating because the they just reused the same actors who were on the Broadway play. Because Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, they did the Broadway play for Fences, you know. But I can still marvel at the fact that the, that the acting here is seriously amazing. Like, I can't get over the fact that how well this is acted, you know. And I think one of the biggest problems I have with it is that it's very dialogue driven. It does look very good. Don't get me wrong. The film looks really, really good, but it, there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of dialogue that goes really, really fast. At times, I felt myself getting lost in how much dialogue is kept being thrown at me, you know, and I felt like I was missing stuff right, just because of the speed that I was at. That I was at. That's not to say that this film was very engaging because because of the speed in which this presenting information, it's just it's just giving things to you left and right, and you get to process that in a really quick manner. So it is fast-paced in terms of dialogue and how it's presented. That's just kind of my my problem with it, is that it's there's a lot of speed to it, and then there's also it's pretty long. It's two hours and twenty minutes. After a while, it's like, okay, can we could just slow down for a little bit, you know, which it does give you some breathing room. That's not to say that it's all like super fast, but that was just my biggest problem with it. Other than that, I mean, it looks really, really good. And Viola Davis, she deserved that Oscar. She does a fantastic job here. 
And that, that, that also kind of, well, why it's so low is that, you know, since I have read the play, there were no surprises for me. You know, I already knew all the themes going in. I just kind of wanted to see if they were going to change anything, which there are a few changes from scripts to movie, but I kind of had to search for them too. You know, like there, there's not too many. There's nothing to really get upset about. It's basically they just took the movie or the play that's put it into a movie form, you know. So overall, I, I give it an 8 out of 10. It's a solid recommend. It's it's really good. I'd totally buy this on Blu-ray. little piece of trivia. You said that the actors reprised their role from the Broadway play, and this also happened. Um, I'm sure it's happened before, but the one of the most prominent ones is with a streetcar named Desire. Okay. That was starring Marlon Brando and Vivian Lee. They um, were on Broadway with the play for quite a while, and then they made the transition to screen or already the characters. So kind of gotcha. Cool. Okay, yeah, interesting. I didn't know that. My number eight is Hidden Figures. Wow, Hidden Figures. It ha- really has the look and feel of those Disney movies. You know those live yeah, action Disney yeah, okay. movies. I, I I see that. Yeah, especially like there's like a lot of Disney movies that deal with race relations, especially taking place in the '60s. That really reminded me of that. Uh, my biggest issue with Hidden Figures was, like you were saying, it was. I felt like it was like being preachy to a fault because it was trying to like be like too linking like the time of the '60s to now with just like race issues and female issues. It just did not feel too inspiring to me when they're like hitting me over the head with this stuff and it's so obvious it's it's like okay i clearly see what you're trying to do okay um, don't do that focus on the story and then that will come instead of putting those like political i guess you could say elements first or societal elements first and it's like we really want to get this message out there at all costs if that means we have to do this so hidden figures was i also felt it was just too long I really felt like they could have condensed it a lot more because I found myself losing interest towards the end in the last half. I sent you a picture. Remember? Yep. I had Remember the that. time clock on. I, I clock watched the whole movie, essentially. I really wanted to like it because I do like movies that are, like I said, those Disney movies, you know, that are very similar to this. But this just really didn't have a lot of heart and substance for me. The characters were just too cliche or they were just – I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of depth, I guess, or like motivation right. or anything. And I can understand it was the 60s, so that seems a little more plausible. But I just lost interest in what happened. I can't recommend Hidden Figures. I gave it a five. Some people would like it. Some people may really enjoy it. But I just feel like there's better movies out there sure this is a great story to be told but the way it was told i had too many issues with i can't see myself sitting through this again that's why i gave it a five out of ten which is a a, my it's a slight knock not recommend right so yeah we kind of have both the exact same views i yeah this it it seemed it seemed that you just didn't like it more than i didn't like it but like i said there i don't think there's a bad film on this list right even though i had all the problems i do have i don't I could sit through this film again. You you probably couldn't. And I don't think this film is meant for everybody. There's definitely a lot of things here that are meant for a very specific audience. Whoever that audience may be, it doesn't really matter at this point. But the fact that they decided to preach to me was the re- main reason why I was like, I kind of pushed me away. It's just like, okay, well, 
I like to figure things out for myself, you know, I'm not being told what I need to believe, you know, and some people may not have a problem with that. That's perfectly fine. That's why I, that's, I still recommend the film, you know, is I can't tell somebody, oh no, don't watch that. It's a piece of crap. It, it's not, you know, there are far worse movies out there, you know, we seem to have the exact same issues with it. It's just, it's just overly preachy, you know, that's just the biggest problem with it. I do think that the themes are important. They are very relevant. But like you said, that was for the 60s. You know, things are a little bit... They're kind of coming back, those same those same social issues. And we we could have a whole conversation on the, the social issues in this film alone. <laughs> Boy, that's a different podcast if we were ever going to do that. But this film, it's it's different. Like you said, it's, it's just different coming from the 60s to now. You know, that's, that, that was a good point you brought up. I didn't really think about that. But yeah, that, I mean, I guess there isn't really much dispute over this one because we both seem to have the exact same issues. I just, it just didn't bother me nearly as much as it did to you. It's interesting because Octavia Spencer, who stars in Hidden Figures, she also starred in The Help. Right. Which came right. out in 2011. Haven't seen it, but yeah, I know it. They deal with similar issues. I get it's kind of told from a different point of view. I understand that, but it does deal with those issues. I feel like The Help is a much, much better film. And it's funny because Octavia Spencer won the best performance by an actress in a supporting role for The Help. She won the Oscar. She was nominated for the Oscar in Hidden Figures, but she didn't win. So my recommendation is go with The Help. It's just a much better story. It's it's a much tighter script and characters. Um, and I, like I said, I do understand it's different. It's a lot different right. because of the story it's trying to tell. But with the similar things that are going on, I say go with the help. But moving on, Alan, what is your number seven pick? All right. So for me, number seven is going to be Hacksaw Ridge. I see the look in your face. <laughs> For those of you who can't see, I made a surprised face. <laughs> yes, Corbin, yeah. He was quite surprised by my, how low this one was. And, uh, let me explain. Right after I watched this movie, it wasn't very long after I saw this, I went and watched Full Metal Jacket. And there are a lot of things that Hacksaw Ridge is like. Hacksaw Ridge does not steal off of Full Metal Jacket. It more, if, it, if anything, it references it and plays homage to it, especially with the opening few scenes with the... Uh, with the training, right? So I will compare it a little bit to Full Metal Jacket, but I'm not saying that's stealing off of it, right? right. Now, the I feel like the weakest point in this entire film was the opening. The opening for me was, I wouldn't even say it was really that good because it's really, it's just, it's a lot of really cheesy dialogue being thrown at you while simultaneously trying to build this relationship that only lasts for about, or the builds a relationship for only about 30 minutes before it says now you need to care about how he has to, how he needs to get back home, you know? And I feel like that, at least the relationship part wasn't handled very well, but I feel like the dialogue was the weakest part in the opening because it just felt really cheesy. And I was like, is this really best picture nomination quality? Like, I was wondering myself, I was like, how did this get nominated for best picture? Like, this is, this is almost cringeworthy dialogue, you know? And it has been a few years since Mel Gibson's done a film, or I'll say a good one, you know? The last one that I thought, I, I think it was Passion of the Christ that was his best, like, did a really, really good movie. The opening first act of this movie, I just felt like it was just, was easy. It was, I feel like it could have done a lot, been done a lot better. 
The only other problem I have with it, which is still kind of a big issue, is when it does get to those war scenes, and I'll talk about them in a second. When it does get to those war scenes, I feel like it is kind of being, it is kind of over glorification of all that violence, you know? It's brutal. Yes, it is brutal. It's very brutal violence. But the problem is, it's almost too stylistic, if I if I can say that. It is very stylistic at the end, especially. Yeah, yeah. With the Japanese committing Harry Carey, stabbing themselves, and all the inner cuts, and... And like when you get shots of like explosions happening and people's limbs flying over the place, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, I get the point, but is that the best way to do it? You know, because, okay, in one of the criticisms I've heard from Passion of the Christ is that it's over glorifying the torture that Jesus Christ went through, you know, and to some extent I can understand that. So... So when it came to this one, I was just like, that That seems to be another issue that I have, you know, that this is just almost over-glorifying the violence, right? Now, some people may not have a problem with that. I did a little bit, but other than that, really, especially the middle scenes, this scene, this movie is, it's like really powerful. Just seeing like the faith that the guy has and what he does to get through whatever he needs to do, you know, it, in my opinion, this is what a Christian, if a Christian movie were to be made, this is what it should strive to be like, you know. If it weren't for those war scenes being as impactful as they are, I don't think I'd be able to recommend this film, but it was definitely those scenes that saved, like, definitely saved it, and those were definitely the most important parts of the film, too. So if you're going to go in thinking you're going to see, like, Full Metal Jacket, you may be disappointed because Full Metal Jacket is something different. It's definitely more about the psychological aspect in that one than this one, where it's more about like the actions of some of the actions of one character. Other than the other issues I had, that was re- those are the big ones. You know, for me, I give it an eight out of ten. I'd say it's a strong recommend. It's if you could just get past the first half an hour, you're it's really good. My number seven pick is Lion. Uh, I didn't know anything about Lion coming into it. I knew nothing about it, and I would say. My biggest issue with Lion is probably the pacing. I think the little boy actor is wonderful. He does an incredible job. He's so cute. Um, one of the praises I do give the film is I really felt like I was lost in India. I really felt like they captured India well, and especially that feeling of being lost. That was very well done. I would say it drags once he gets lost, and it's like, okay, we could pick this up. We could pick the pacing up. I wasn't like overly invested in this guy, you know, trying to reunite when he's an adult, that is. Right. Um, with this, Aust- he's got an Australian family. And I-, I mean, the acting is well done. Everything is well done. It, it looks like it looks nice. Uh, locations are nice. But I would say that's just the pacing. And especially towards the end when he is finally, I was like excited for him to find his family and like man he's really trying hard and i hope he does but then there just comes a point when it's like okay you're gonna you're gonna start losing me if we don't start picking this up and then when he does and there's like this like montage or fast cuts of him like finding and figuring everything out i'm like okay we get it come on so that was really my biggest issues with lion i think it's a fine movie um i give it a six out of ten it's a slight recommend it's not for everybody. Um, it's a pretty well done drama with some good editing, some pretty good acting um, locations. But otherwise, 
I don't really feel like it was as powerful as it was thinking it was or trying to be. Uh, it really just didn't hit home for me. Yeah, it's just a matter of opinion with that one, I guess. So what's your number six pick? Well, we're going to have about the same uh, same one because I also pick Lion. <laughs> I think I have a little bit more good to say than you did, though. But Okay, so I this has a really good sense of style. This is one thing that really stuck out to me was this. I agree. This, yeah, this, the, the way that this film looks, the way that the way that it's shot, the way that it sounds, you know, the acting, everything here is really, really good. I think you're right about the pacing. It, although there's a lot of good here, there is some pacing issues because he doesn't start looking for his family until about like about the middle of the movie, you know, and that's after he gets lost and stuff. And I thought, like, I feel like the opening and the ending were the best. They were the best pieces of the movie. Like the opening when he's when he gets lost in the train station, like I was like, dang, I, I really felt for the kid who was lost in this train station, and he's on this train and he doesn't know where he's going. You know, I thought that was really well done. And then once he once it shows him growing up and him showing how his life is and how it is, you know, how it is compared to back home and how he's changed and all this stuff. It's like okay, yeah, it's fine, but can we, you know, move on with it? You know, I feel like that's where the film starts to drag was this middle portion, but. I gotta say that yeah, like you said, the kid who played Saru, he did a really good job. Not the old guy, he, not the older kid. He also did a good job, but the kid, the small kid, that especially did a really, really good job. I feel like this is almost like really different compared to the other Best Picture nominations because it's all about like missing children in specific African countries, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I feel like this is kind of like the black sheep of the family here, but not by too much, you know. It's not like. It's so different, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I basically, I don't really have much to dispute here either. I would probably give it a bigger rating because I did. I think I got into the film more than you did. I do have a little bit of a story though. My uncle and I were going to go see a movie. I was at his, I was at his house when this came out at the theaters and I said, oh yeah, let's go see Lion. Cause I knew that I really wanted to see all of the best pictures. And so we went to go see it in the whole movie. There's a, a group of teenagers behind us that just kept talking the whole time. And more than once, my uncle and I turned around and were like, hey, can you keep it down? We're trying to watch a movie, you know. I thought that it was re- it was really interesting having my uncle's opinion there and having his having his viewpoint because he has kids, you know, they're the same age as same age as Saru. I was really wanting to know what he thought during the scene when the kid goes missing and gets lost in the train station. And he said that it was kind of scary for him because he has kids that age, you know. So it was kind of interesting having also having that viewpoint. It wasn't very cool having those teenagers there because I feel feel like they didn't know what they were getting themselves into when they went to go see Lion. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I would give it an 8 out of 10. I love the style of this movie. The music is really good. The acting is great. But it's got the biggest problem it's got to be its pacing. At times it drags. And some may say this is also kind of preachy. And I can agree with that. But at the same time, it's... It's about an issue that you don't normally hear about. And I think in this one, it works, you know, because if you get on Facebook, you're always going to see a bunch of posts about the social issues that are happening currently, which is what Hidden Figures did. But in this one, it's about an issue that is in a different part of the world that you don't really hear news about. So I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, having all of that. For me, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. I'd say it's a solid recommend. You know, if you're not, if you're okay with some movies, then you'll probably enjoy this one. But you just know it is pretty slow at times. And that's a good point. It did raise awareness of an issue happening in India with these kids without parents and they're being 
sold or traded or whatever it's a horrible thing Mm -hmm. i really felt for him the movie did a good job of capturing that and bringing that to people's attention my number six pick uh, is arrival Mm, okay anything denise Villeneuve? maybe i said that wrong everybody says things differently he is a masterful director one of the best directors working today enemy is one of his most underrated films i highly recommend enemy with jake gyllenhaal he's doing blade runner 2049 can't wait for that i can't wait either it looks gorgeous uh arrival really does give me high hopes for that it's a very dark film and kind of in story, but just the lighting and everything, like everything is so dark. And I like those kind of films. We talked about Prisoners for like three hours. So go check out yeah, right. go check out that bonus <laughs> podcast. Help support us for, I think it's like $1.99 or something. But I felt like this kind of was the odd one out on this list. It's a sci-fi movie. Sci-fi movies are normally never nominated for Best Picture. Granted, it's a very deep sci-fi movie, and it's something that you don't want to fall asleep in the middle of, kind of like I did. My dad and I were watching it. We both fell asleep, and we woke up, and we're we're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I do think maybe, maybe the pacing of this one also could have been tightened up. I don't really remember the runtime of this movie. I remember it being a little long i just think certain things maybe could have been tightened up or a little more clear i i definitely want to revisit it i gave it a seven out of ten i believe that seven will bump up to an eight but i definitely need to sit down more awake and examine it more it's a fine decent film um denise felonu always does great it's very fascinating definitely not best picture of the year though that is all mm-hmm. so I, that's the odd one out that's my number six pick well, for me, number five, he is her rival. Oh, pretty close. <laughs> well, this is, I hope uh, we don't keep climbing this ladder. That would make things kind of confusing. <laughs> like you said, this is, once again, Denise Villeneuve does a great job. And if it wasn't for Denise Villeneuve's name being on, tw- you know, the next Blade Runner film, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be ready for it, you know. We both watched Ghost in the Show with uh, ScarJo, and we we're both like, ha That's a good point. I really wish... Denise Villeneuve would have been handed Ghost in the Shell. Oh, yeah. He, oh, my gosh. He would have done that movie such justice. Oh, man. He would have. Dang it. Now it makes me sad that he didn't do that. <laughs> me too. I, I thought it was really, really good. The way that it says, because of, okay, because of the current situation in society, if you don't know, which should be pretty apparent, but if you don't know, usually, usually the Oscars will pick films that are going to that are going to connect with society at that given moment. So when you watch Best Pictures from like nineteen like forties, you'll have films in there that are, that are really that really speak volumes to what what the what society was back then. And if you watch one now, that's Best Picture is going to talk about how society is now. You know. So I do think this is really interesting because it's all about communication. I thought it was just really engaging because it's it's all about how we need to work together. You know and how if we're going to solve an issue as the human race, we need to communicate with each other. And if there's one thing I love about this film, it's how cliche it isn't. And I can see this becoming one of those modern classics down the road, you know, maybe down, maybe becoming like um, a film that everyone remembers way into the future. You know, I can definitely see that happening. I, okay. It may take a couple, a couple more watchings for me to really, really dive more into this movie, but 
I mean, yeah, for the most part, I thought it was just fantastic, you know. And I kind of said that Roger Deakins didn't return, but I think it still looks really, really good, you know, for a Denise Villeneuve film. Um, you said the pacing was kind of off, and I can see, I can, I guess I can kind of see that, you know. And there are a couple of scenes where I feel like it could have been paced better. But, I mean, for the most part, I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was really smart for a sci-fi film. I'd say that it is... It's very much a thinker's film, which is what I appreciated about it most, is that it, it engages the audience and then lets them, like, think along with it, you know? When, okay, when it gets to the end and it has that twist, it, le- it allows the audience to think back from what they just saw in the movie and, like, piece together, because this is told out of order, and it, it allows it to piece together subjects of the film and how, how it really all pulls together. And I, I thought it was great, you know? I'd probably give it an 8 out of 10. I'd... Maybe it raised to a nine if I watched it again. I, I definitely own this on Blu-ray. In fact, I almost bought it the other day at Walmart, and it was $15. You know, I made, I said Prisoners without even thinking Denise Villeneuve. Denise Villeneuve directed Prisoners. They look very similar. They do. Yeah, you're right. I, I definitely got a Prisoners vibe off of this. So my number five pick is Hell or High Water. Very good film. Solid film. It has a very tight script superb acting a very tight story that really sets out to accomplish what it wants to and it really goes for it i was really impressed this is a movie i really want to rewatch. the only thing that caught me off guard which we've talked about it and i i watched it with my dad it didn't catch him off guard it didn't catch you off guard i don't know maybe i was just expecting more is just when it ended, I was just, for some reason, I was expecting it to keep going. You know, I was kind of hoping it would, but I was like, well, my dad's like, no, I think that was the proper ending. And I'm I'm sure upon a second watching, I'll see that too, now that I'm kind of know what I'm in for. But I was very impressed with the acting um, from all around and the story. Um, most all of these stories are like really big and grandiose and like trying to accomplish big things, except for I would probably say two other films on this list that I haven't mentioned yet that I'll get to here shortly. Otherwise, I gave it an 8 out of 10. It's a solid recommend. I'm very pleased with it. My number four is Moonlight. Whoa. Yeah. It's yeah. in the top five. Yeah, Mine it is. <laughs> and let me, give, let me explain why. Because, okay, one of the main reasons why is just I love this style of filmmaking. Just this handheld, gritty realism that Moonlight has to offer. I just, I eat that up. Okay. And so when it also has a lot of acting that's like really grounded, it feels just almost unnervingly real. It sucked me in. And my roommate and I watched it. We're just like, crap. I feel like I learned a lot, you know, like not only, not only like the oppression that people who identify or even maybe even have are just curious or even don't even know what they are, what what kind of things they kind of sometimes will fall under. I, I thought that was really interesting, you know, maybe even insightful because of where I live. That isn't that isn't necessarily a thing that I'm around a lot. So I thought that was kind of interesting seeing that different side of life, you know, not necessarily where it's set, although it does help aid the film being in like a poverty strict kind of poverty stricken area. I just thought it was really, really interesting. And there are scenes in here that I will, I feel like I would almost always remember, like the scene where he goes to visit his mom at the end and they're just having that conversation. I thought that was heart wrenching or the very end scene where he goes to visit his friend 
And I just felt there was a lot of just tension there that I felt like you could almost cut with a knife. And my friend and I were just, we were just I don't know, we were just captivated by the film. We loved it. And some people may not like the message. I know you didn't really like it. And I can understand that, you know, that the film is, it's one of those movies where you kind of have to agree or disagree with it, I would say, for you to like it. I know a lot of people don't. Personally, I I really enjoyed it just because of, just because of its style. That was my main reason. It's just, it's style. It's a very quiet movie compared to other Hollywood movies. And if you watch a lot of indie films like I have recently, that sense of quietness really lets you dig deeper into what the characters are really thinking and why they're expressing the things that they're expressing and stuff like that. And it kind of, it, it's another way of drawing the audience in is by giving these moments of silence or not much dialogue, you get to sink yourself into it and like think about what is happening around you. And so I don't know, I just personally, I found it to be really, really good. And I think you're right about the pacing thing about maybe it should have been like an epic, like a three hour character study, you know, I feel like that would make the film better. And I can, I can definitely see where that would be better. You know, I, I def, I know why they have it in like like three different sections. They're showing the character identity, the self-discovery in three different stages of his life, you know, and it shows how he, how he handles it in three different areas, moving from this little child to when he's an adult and how he's able to process more information and is more complex and stuff. So I say, yeah, that might be one of the criticisms I have is that if it were longer, I feel like I might be able to get into it more. But I mean, overall, there are scenes in here that I'm just like, that I, that I feel like I will always remember when I think about Moonlight, like, oh yeah, that scene with the mom or that ending scene with him and his friend at the restaurant. Yeah. Overall, yeah, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. I give it a 9 out of 10 high recommend. It's not, a, like I said, it's not a film for everyone. If, you, if you're sensitive to that kind of a subject, you may not like it. I'm always, like for me personally, I'm always open to new ideas and what the people have to say, which is why I find it really interesting. And I do agree that there are some really powerful scenes in the film. I remember my dad and I really agreed on that. We were like, wow. That was really well done. I don't know, some some scenes that do stick with you. You brought up the one where he visited his mom. Powerful scene. I really, really liked that. Kind of coming full circle like that. And just some haunting imagery, honestly, in that movie. One of the most haunting scenes is when he is an adult. He steps out of his car and he looks down towards the beach and he sees the beach. Haunting, mm-hmm. haunting imagery. And so much tied up into his personal life with that. And the very, I believe it's the closing shot where he has his head resting on the guy. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that so. That was a very, just kind of like, almost like a haunt, like a heart-wrenching thing almost. Like, I don't know. I just, I really felt for Little in that moment especially. Right. I, I felt when they were at the restaurant though, that dragged on way too long. I wasn't sure where that was going. Um, do you remember that? Remember when he goes to the yeah. restaurant at the very end? Yeah, yeah that's, that was the scene I'm alluding to with the restaurant scene with him and his friend. That was when they go back to the apartment, apartment earlier. and I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I did have some issues with the restaurant, but that final scene, a couple powerful scenes, but yeah, overall, we're pretty different on this one. I knew we would be, but we do have some common ground with a few of the things. Mm-hmm. So my number four pick is Manchester by the Sea. Oh, wow. Interesting. Manchester by the Sea, we watched this together, and I was blown away by Casey Affleck's performance, and also just by this 
story. Like, it just felt so real. And it was like, there was like nothing pretentious about this. It was like not trying to be Oscar bait. It was not trying to be more than what it is. Um, just everything about it. And there's like such like a heart wrenching, like, oh, just like so much of it. It's just so well done. I, I give it really high praise. Like most movies on this list, it's really not for everyone, though, just because it's it's just so sad. I can see some people kind of getting hard to get into with it, but the dynamic between him and his nephew is an incredible dynamic. I was so shocked to see Casey Affleck pull out the acting chops for this. I, I was very shocked to see that because I've just seen him in very non-serious roles, very goofy stuff, but high praise for Casey Affleck. He was really, I felt, what made this movie. The setting... The town was really incredible, but really just the chemistry between the cast and how they worked so well within the story. I was just so blown away by it. I give Manchester by the Sea a 9 out of 10. Really high. Recommend. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so for my number three, I'm actually going to go Hell or High Water. I actually really, really enjoyed this movie. It really reminded me of No Country for Old Men. Oh, yes. I forgot to mention that, actually, when I was talking yeah, about yeah. it. Like when I was watching it, like I had just recently watched No Country for Omen before I watched this, and I just got this huge No Country for Omen vibe. I thought it was just, I thought it was great, honestly. I thought the performances were great. The there's a scene at the end uh, where it all comes to a climax, and a character. I would say this: there's a, there's a scene where a character dies at the end, right mm-hmm. during the climax, and I audi- I remember audibly gasping when that happened, which doesn't really happen very often for me so yeah when that happened i was like wow this is a this must be a pretty good movie then <laughs> and recently too i've also just been getting into a lot of crime dramas i just i find those really interesting so yeah honestly i thought it was great um pers- personally i give it a nine out of ten it's a high high recommend if if you loved Con- no country for old men you you love this one so that that's what i thought no country for old men seems it like we talked about this it's a much bigger film yeah. a bigger right. cast of characters a bigger story whereas it kind of takes that but it really boils it down but very very similar feels yeah definitely very similar you'll you'll definitely and it should be noted no country for old men did win best picture of the year yes that is right that's true so, hello high water was nominated so close though yeah to joining yeah. no country for old men my number 3 is Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hacksaw Ridge was the first of these Oscar films that I... Yeah, this was actually... No, the second. The second of the Oscar-nominated films that I saw. Mm -hmm. I was very pleased with it. I would say that kind of the, the issues that you brought up um, were also my issues with the movie. Mm-hmm. It's quite a long movie. Um, the war violence is just super brutal. I watched this with my mom and sister and girlfriend. So they were a little... I was a little surprised because it, it was very brutal. I've yeah. seen plenty of violent movies, so I'm not too easily offended by that kind of stuff. But this really did have a kind of a shocking brutality to it. And so yeah. Mel Gibson did a good job of capturing, I guess, the horrors of war in that sort of a sense. Right. Um, this is no apocalypse now. Um, this is no war movie like that. This is a very kind of 
kind of shiny war movie i don't know if that makes sense where everything just like looks really nice that, yeah i mean if, if you've seen the movie i think it makes a lot more it makes more sense i really did think andrew garfield gave a great performance i probably would say my overall biggest issue with the film i feel everything else is fine i remember hacksaw ridge i'm pretty sure it won for editing i believe it was yeah i think it was that one that won for editing and i really saw that editing shine towards the end although that was a little strange it didn't really have like the just emotional punch that I felt like it should have had at the end. Don't get me wrong. I did feel it was an emotional film, but I just, I, I wasn't crying. I felt like I should have been crying. I should have just been a lot more like broken up and, and yes, I was kind of like in the moment emotional, but not as much as I would have liked to have been. So that did kind of disappoint me. And I do feel like with like mostly everything i've said on this list this this one's pretty long i think yeah yeah it's Um, one of the longer ones i think it is one of the longer ones so and there's a lot that's explored in his backstory Mm -hmm. there's a lot to it yeah yeah go ahead but otherwise i did i did give it a nine out of ten okay though i was um i don't know i was just very impressed with it um just because it's a good moral story that really promotes like just this great value of sacrificing yourself for your brother and the selfless love and just this incredible inspiring example i did find it to be a very inspiring movie oh yeah so i was very inspired by it and i was like yeah these are the kind of movies i feel like we need more often now is not you know focusing on something I don't know, dark and negative, but just kind of, we need to remember that, you know, that's what, you know, that selfless love for our brothers and sisters. And I I just love a great inspiring story like that. So I, I did wish it was a little more emotional, but overall nine out of 10, if I rewatched it, it's possible that nine could drop to an eight, Mm -hmm. but in the moment, right after I saw the movie, I gave it a nine. Right. So I'm sticking with that rating for now. This seems to be a common theme is that we have the same thoughts, regardless of our like personal rating. Right. Like I said, the, the opening was honestly what just killed the movie for me at first. <laughs> and if the opening was just stronger, I feel like this could be a nine for me. But the fact that, it, you know, it was kind of, for me at least, it was hard for me to get into the, what the movie was going for was because that it opening was just really cheesy and just also felt different from the rest of the movie. Yeah. But I was thinking that with all like the war violence and stuff, it could, you could always chalk it up to be how it's perceived by the people who are in the war, like that are actually fighting rather than what actually happened, you know? Right. And the more I think about that, the more it, the more it begins to make sense why the, the violence is see is seemingly over glorified, you know? Sure. Because it's because we're seeing it from the perspective of the people who are in the war, like who are actively fighting. You know, it may mm-hmm. not actually be as the movie portrays it, but to them it does. And I do kind of wish that it explored that a bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because for the most part, it's just about Andrew Garfield's character, as you said, just being a very inspiring man. You know, and helping, trying to help people out as the best that he can. And there's a and like really, really good scene at the end, towards the end where he, he's, it's the one, just let me get one more scene if you've seen it, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, if the, I feel like if the movie would have also explored like the psych, more psychologically how this affects Andrew Garfield's character during the actual war, I feel like it could have been even more captivating. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's it's really really good. There's like I said, there's problems that we both have, and both seem to have this, the exact same issues with it. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just what I think. Did it remind you of Captain America when they were both kind of training and they're both kind of the scrawny guys? Yeah, yeah. And they're like Mr. America and I'm pretty sure they both jump on a grenade if I I could yeah, be imagining. I think that, you're right, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Something like yeah. that. Not a live grenade, but Right. It did it really reminded me of Captain America. Yeah, there were scenes where I was like this is this feels like Captain America. I'll be honest, that's not really a good thing for me because Captain America is one of probably one of my least favorite Marvel movies, but, and I just, something I just have to say, and I don't really know if I can put it into the two words correctly to like make anybody understand, but I just have an issue with kind of, maybe it's the way it's shot. I don't know. It's just every, it's just how everything looks like hidden figures looks this way. It's that Disney effect, I guess you could call it where everything just looks really clean and clear cut and i don't know it just looks it just looks too clean i just want whereas like i guess in i don't know like you were kind of talking about how in moonlight it was more like more real and just kind of this visceralness to it if that makes sense i don't know because if you go and watch just different war movies like go and watch different war movies and then watch this there's just this kind of like sterile cleanness to it to the shots and everything i don't know if that even makes any sense no i totally get you like like the example i gave a full metal jacket like that was very like the ending 45 minutes is just it is really dirty and i just i i I mean i get like a little bit of that in hacksaw ridge but i don't know i just get really bugged when we get this kind of disney effect in movies where everything just looks so nice and right clean and the colors are just you know kind of slightly muted in a way but they're all really proper and Mm -hmm. yeah i totally totally agree with that i didn't really think about that you brought it up yeah i don't know maybe it's because it's digital whereas those were filmed on film and that yeah that definitely i feel like that does kind of play a part in it because okay with film film is expensive and it's yes. still expensive, you know, even with modern technology, which is why when you have a digital camera, you can literally just record or delete the file or record over it or however they do it, you know, and you have basically unlimited space, you know, you can do it however many times you want. So there's not much of a hold on it. Whereas with, with film, like, okay, we watched Rope recently and we were talking about how because of, because of the length of the shots, they had to be very careful on when to end it and, and all that kind of stuff. And they had limited amounts of film. It, it it puts people on like the suspense of okay I have to do this right you know and it and it makes things look just a little bit more realistic I would say because they're trying really hard they're forced to you know right I don't know if that's what the problem with Hacksaw Ridge is but I definitely agree with it there is this overabundance of just cleanliness that's that almost takes it to a utopian level you know yeah. Which might be might be an issue for some. Some people might not care, you know. But yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, especially if you haven't seen any older war films, then right. And I'm not talking black and white John Wayne war films. Right, like talking... the Longest Day or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I'm not talking about that. 
I don't know. It just seems more movies are moving towards that way, just with the era, 2017. Right. You right. know, just with the cameras and stuff. But moving on, what is your number two? Okay, my number two is Manchester by the Sea. Oh. The first time I watched it, I was kind of tired, but I remember just loving it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the scene where he goes to talk about the will... You know what you know what I'm talking about when he has all the all the flashbacks of everything coming back to him, all the crap that happened. Oh, like, yes, even just yes. saying that the situation he was that he was put in is depressing is almost understating it. It's like I don't know how to explain it. It's just really, really depressing. And it, just seeing that, even though even though you know it's fake, even though you know it's just a story, just seeing that play out in a way that the movie presents it puts you in his shoes, where you get to experience it along with him because it just comes out of nowhere. And you're just like, oh, geez, you know. And then seeing both Casey Affleck's character and then the girl, the his wife, I forget her name, and seeing her Michelle her reaction Williams? to what happened. What? Is it Michelle Williams? Yeah, yeah. And okay. seeing yeah, seeing her reaction to the situation that unfolds, I want to give it away, but seeing her reaction to the situation that unfolds, it's like it feels like you're in that situation. And it's just it's really crappy. And after seeing it again with you, I remember, I remember thinking, wow, this movie is really incredible because if there's one thing that the movie is talking about, it's a very, very hard lesson about letting go, right? And it takes it to the absolute extreme where, yes, this terrible thing happened in this guy's past, but he can't keep holding on to that, you know? If he's going to move, if he's going to move forward in his life, because he's forced to in the story, if he's going to move forward, he has to get over it. And there's a scene where him and Michelle Williams come back and they talk for a while. And I don't want, I'm not going to give anything away, but it, it is by far the most heart wrenching scene in the entire film, because that's that's when everything that we've experienced and everything that we know is coming to a head. It's you know it's the climax, I guess I could say. So. And just seeing that, just seeing them interact, it, just, it feels just so raw, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it, honestly, I don't really know. I can't give anything that I really have a big issue with, you know? Some people may find this really depressing. This is not a film for everybody. There, This is no way a film for everybody. Okay, Boy in the Striped Pajamas. If you can't stand Boy in the Striped Pajamas, do, it would be in your best interest not to watch, not to watch Manchester by the Sea because... They're both, it's just, a, it's just very depressing. But personally, I loved it. I loved everything about it. It it kind of, it kind of makes me, has that same style, the same vein of style, I would say, as Moonlight, where it's kind of just like down in the dirt. And it's like, here's what's really happening. And it shows like all the psychological stuff going on with Casey Affleck's character. And now he has to deal with the situation he's put under. So yeah, I, I freaking loved it. It, I thought it was really powerful. I would give it a 9 out of 10. Very, probably the strongest of recommends from for me. So we have the same rating for Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. I did a 9 out of 10 also. It wasn't as high up on my list, though, but yeah. everything you said, I 100% agree with. Right. And now I, you, I want to go watch it again now, just hearing you talk about it. I'm like, ugh. I know, but there's just so much to, like, rediscover every time. And it's such an experience, honestly. You just get so involved in his life and understanding who he is and why he is and who's connected to him and the different relationships that are involved and how his life is evolving and changing. And everything is so organic in that movie. 
Mm -hmm. It is incredible. And speaking of organic, that leads me to my number two pick, which is Fences. Yes. And I came into Fences absolutely clueless. I didn't see any trailers. I didn't know the plot. All I saw was the poster with Denzel Washington and uh, Viola Davis. And I did when we were when I was watching um, the Oscars. I saw a scene where Denzel was like talking like talking harshly to his son, where he's like, "I don't have to like you. You're my son. I don't have to like you, but I provide for you." And blah blah blah. That's I don't know. And even that scene, I didn't even it didn't even play out the same way really as I remembered it when I actually watched the movie. And all I, re- all I remembered you telling me was when I popped on fences was there's lots of dialogue. There's lots of talking. Yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. But then, bam, Denzel is just talking a mile a minute in that opening scene. And I had, I really missed probably like 80% of what he was talking about. Yep. <laughs> and there's something very organic about that, actually, though, because... I doubt that a hundred percent of that was scripted. I felt like a lot of that was probably kind of embellishing and inflecting and kind of free flowing. I really felt that, and I was worried though. I need to specify that I was worried within I don't know like the first five minutes or so because I've seen that type of character acting before. I guess you could say. And it could go one of two ways. It could lead to, as Denzel did, a phenomenal performance, or it could be way overdone, which I was like to the point of like not being realistic because in some of that, I was like, okay, this is just kind of unrealistic, honestly. Like, this just seems like a little ridiculous, almost. Some of this dialogue or actions, and it's just almost overplaying it up a little bit it seemed like at first and thankfully some of that wild just rambunctious behavior like dies down a little bit we just dive more into the characters but it really wasn't like inviting me in to begin with I was very kind of turned off I guess you could say but what really clinched the movie for me was the performances Mm -hmm. and the story because when we watched Ma'am Chester by the Sea, I was like, okay, I can completely see why Casey Affleck won. And sure, okay, I can still say that he deserved it. But then when I saw Fences, I was like, uh, Denzel did like the performance of a lifetime with this. Like, I don't know, really. I I feel like I might just have to pick Denzel a little bit over Casey's performance. I was just like blown away by the performances in this film just top-notch performances and the the sets feel very much like a play there's really only like two or three sets you know and they're reused quite a bit and you kind of come back to them even though this movie was long and i did feel the length in certain areas it felt like it just flowed really well for me yeah. Um, just from scene to scene, it felt really natural and the progression of events, like everything felt really natural and made sense. But I was so involved and I became so invested in this movie and I just like couldn't stop thinking throughout the whole film. 
like the characters felt so real. I'm like, yeah, that is real. You know, I could probably go on for quite a while about fences, but I was so blown away by it. I was so impressed by it. It like got close to the number one spot, but what kept it from the number one spot is just because this almost doesn't really feel like a movie in a way. It just feels like a play put to screen. Right. And I don't know. It really doesn't feel like it utilizes too much of cinema's different aspects, if that makes sense. Because it's very just, you know, here's the setting, you know, we're going to just dialogue back and forth very much like a play. So that's what kept it from the number one spot. But I get, I get fences 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I was just, I loved it that much. And I was just so, so impressed. Right. Especially in a time when it just seems like movies are so, they're nothing like they used to be, you know, because right. we've been watching a lot of classics this summer. They weren't just trying to make a fast buck. And I felt fences really hearkened back to that. So right. that was my number two spot. Yeah. And I, yeah, I totally agree with you and almost every, basically everything you said. I mean, the biggest reason is because I have, I have seen this before. So seeing it on the screen, there were no surprises for me. Not to say that all the themes, everything was still as impactful as they were in the play. Some may have a different differing opinion on that. I cannot give any wrong to the performances because they've been playing their characters for years, you know. So they've they've been able to polish that performance over time, and that just gives it just this. This is for me. This is one of the best active movies that on the is on the sober screen that I would say is, at least for this year, is one of the best, if not one of the greatest in the past decade. Absolutely. And it, it, it's just, it's so well done. And the biggest reason, like I said, is just because, for me to put it so low is because I've seen it before. Sure. I read the play, and there are some different, like I said, there are some differences from the play, but for what I see, from what I've seen, remember, there wasn't really too much to get in a fuss over. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. It has some really deep themes in it that like really hit home because of just how gritty and realistic it is. And this film looks really good too. Oh yeah, it's just yeah. and and that is kind of a problem though too, is because it like you said, it's, they took it just right from the play and put it onto the screen. And I know that movies like Chicago that also somehow won this picture. Um, oh yeah, that, did that huh. too and. Some people don't really like that, and I wasn't a big fan of it in Chicago, but I feel like it worked pretty well here, you know? Uh, yeah, it it really did work really well here. Um, right. And like, kind of reminiscent of Rope, just because they're all yeah, in like one absolutely. setting. And these settings are reused, so you just really become familiar with the settings, and when you become familiar with the settings, you just kind of start to feel a part of them, and right. you're like, oh, I've been to this neighborhood before, or this backyard before, and... And also, there's just, like, so much to learn from right, fences. There is. There's just so much to learn. And there's such a dynamic, like, father and son relationship and dynamic. But what is your number one pick? This movie should have won Best Picture of the Year. It's so amazing. What is it? Now, this isn't a surprise at this point. <laughs> there are only nine. <laughs> and we've already gone through eight of them. Now, there's a reason why this is number one for me. You know, I'll explain the reason why. It's not because I thought it was the greatest well-made film, but because the film impacted me on, and this film impacted me on an emotional level that couldn't have been more perfect and come out at any, at a more perfect time than when this one did. Number one is La La Land. That's not a surprise. But let me just explain the situation, okay, that I was in when I went to go see La La Land. 
Now, I had heard about Damien Chazelle before, and I, and if you've seen Whiplash, it's an incredible movie. It has one of one of the best endings probably of all time, you know. And you and I both watched it, and he is definitely on my favorites list. Whiplash is. So when he announced that La La Land was his next movie, I was like, well, what's that about? And at first it was like limited release, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I really oh, yeah. couldn't find it anywhere. So when it came to where I was at, I was like, I'm totally going to go see that. So here's the situation, right? There was a girl that I dated for three years. Okay. And then we ended up because we were, okay, we were both going different ways. And so we said, Hey, let's go ahead and just, you know, let's take a break and see what happens. And then we ended up, we ended up splitting apart, you know, right at the time that La La Land hit theaters. So I had no idea what La La Land had had in store. So when I went to go see it, I was just completely blind. And when I walked out of the movie, I felt just so much better about the situation that just occurred with me because literally almost everything that happens in the film in a way has happened to me with this girl. It was crazy for me to see a film that almost perfectly illustrated that situation that I had been in for three years and then having, then seeing the, how it resolves, you know, and I don't want to give too much away, but seeing how it resolves and everything and tell me, hey, it's okay. You know, like it's, it's fine that this happened. You're pursuing what you want to pursue and that's your dream to pursue that. And that dream, although this person made you a better person and guided you a different way to pursue that dream, they were still good for what part of the life they were in and that you need to keep going the way you're going because that's the best way. Staying with them may not be the best thing that used to happen, but the best thing that did happen is that you did, in fact, end up the way you did. And just seeing that on the screen and telling me, hey, it's okay, at literally the perfect time there couldn't have been a better movie for like a, a better movie, a movie that I would say deserves best picture other than this one. And I know there are a lot of haters that are just like, oh, because it's just so popular, I'm not, I'm going to hate on it, you know, and that that's always a thing. And honestly, I, w I might be a part of that group had this film not come out when it did. And the fact that it was able to teach me a lesson no more than maybe a couple weeks after the whole situation went down. This is a movie that reminded me what film was all about, which is not only not only to teach an aud the audience a lesson, but to give them a different viewpoint on what exactly is life. Like how should a person live their life, you know? And just seeing that after personally experiencing something that was not the greatest situation in the world, it, I don't know, it was just really humbling to me. And so, and so yeah, and I've, I've been obsessed with it. Uh, I've seen it, um, five times already and I own it on Steelbook. <laughs> so yeah, I love the crap out of La La Land. It might change in the future. I may, it's right now, it might go on my favorites list, but we'll see if that changes. It might because of different situations that might happen in the future. You, I wrote a review on it. <laughs> and if you want to know more about me gushing about how this film looks and how amazing it is, just go read my review because it's that review after seeing it five times, it still holds up. This film just, it looks gorgeous. It's shot gorgeous. It's acted so well. It's, the music is great. And it's, and it's kind of cool to see it become a modern classic because I've, I know of a lot of places like Chicago, they just recently decided to have, to play this movie in the park. 
with a bunch with I think a live orchestra or something like that. It's just crazy. This film just came out a year ago, you know. I don't know. It's just kind of crazy to see a film now that exploded in a year, and it's really cool to see Damien Chazelle on a big budget. Now he can do anything that he wants, you know. And I'm really excited to see what else he can do because if because so far he's had two amazing films, like wide release, wide release films. And I'm really excited to see what else you can do. 10 out of 10. This is a, this is, I cannot give a higher recommend for a movie than this. La La Land is also my number one pick. Yes. Also not a surprise. <laughs> it is, it's, it's my number one pick because everything is just done in this movie with such love and care for filmmaking. I mean, everything like works together like so well. It's it's absolutely brilliant. The chemistry between the leads, the cinematography, everything, and something that I was just like, I just cannot think of a last time that I've seen a movie like this before that actually like cares, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like just cares for like what filmmaking used to be because I grew up watching the classics, films that had such substance to them. And now everything is all CGI and explosions and whatnot. Whereas this movie, it was just like, just filmed because Damien Chazelle loves film. Like, he just loves it that much. And he's just like, I like love the craft so much. I want to bring it to the big screen and bring my own art. And I want to take like the classics, but I want to bring modernity into it and just beautifully mold it together and the song the songwriting the singing everything is just so incredible that just works together and it, there's just like so much to it it's so deep it's so incredible i also gave la la land a 10 out of 10 it receives my highest recommendation um there's just so much to say about it so much that i can't really go into here right because it's the a limited discussion format that should be saved for a review, which we, I'm sure we will definitely do someday. Yeah. We'll go into an in-depth podcast review of La La Land. Right. And if we want to, we can do a Damien Chazelle retrospective. There are only three films. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, That'd yeah, cool. I, you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I, from everything from just the cinematography, like even the opening number alone, this sets the feel of the film perfectly. Because if you don't know already, the opening shot is a musical number, but it's, not just a musical number. It's one that, it's one that David Chazelle takes the camera and records the whole number in one shot. And just seeing that, you know, I'm always I'm always a big fan of wonders. I always like seeing what what filmmakers can do. One of my favorites of all, one of my favorite films of all time, Children of Men, has an has a couple of like really long one takes, and there's a couple of like incredible shots in that movie. And seeing that be in this film in like a different style that really hasn't been done for years is just really cool. And it's just, it, and not only that, but the film just looks so good from the colors to the way that the film was framed and how the camera, like I said in my review, the camera moves like butter. It moves when it moves from one object to another. It, there's just like this seamless transition that almost feels like a cut, but it's, but it's not, and it's it's made to be that way. And it just oh, it just looks so good. And I can I can gush over this film for an entire podcast, and maybe someday we'll do it. That'd be kind of cool. But yeah, yeah, it's 
So good. And people may not like it, and that's that's fine. You know, I, I understand that everyone has a different taste in film, but yeah, if I think something that can put people off is the end, because I think everybody's expecting a fairy tale ending. Right. And not right. really a real life ending. And I can understand because when I first saw this movie, I was shocked by the ending. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not giving anything away here. I'm not talking specifics. I'm just talking my reaction to the end. Um, but then the second time when I watched it with you and you like really opened up my eyes to really the themes and you just see it a lot more. Like you're like, okay, this was like they're a part of their relationship all along. And like me as the audience member kind of wanted to be blind to it. Like they wanted to be blind to it also. But then like when they like, okay, now it's time to like grow up and face reality. Then it all made sense. So then that's why when I walked out of the theater, I'm like, okay, the movie is still absolutely brilliant. I'm giving it a nine. I'm really not sure how I feel about that ending. Upon second watching, I totally understood it, and I gave it a 10, my mm. highest recommendation. We'll go more into it. We've said enough about La La Land for the time being. We want to save yeah. that for our review. Right. Yeah, and and yeah, I don't, we're not going to give anything away, but the film could not have ended in any more perfect way, right. I would think. I agree. And that's, if it did in a different way, it would ruin everything, and <laughs> I just yeah, I love how I love how it's not afraid to end the way that it did. I think we're getting I, into pointers. I I agree too. Yes, the movie it's really just it, it's so hard to put it into words. It's so amazing. I got to formulate notes better to <laughs> for the actual review then we can really discuss it. Yes. But Something we want to finish up the podcast with is talking about, just really quickly, um, how IMDb has these films rated according to the user ratings. Yes. So, and you know, our our rating is um, patterned after the 10-star IMDb rating. So, we wanted to see kind of like how IMDb's rated, rated the films, like matched up with our ratings. So... Beginning with number one and going to number eight, number one being the highest rated. Oh, excuse me, number nine being the lowest rated. Well, the reason I did say number eight is because the number one spot is occupied by two films. Oh, okay. Uh, the number one spot is occupied by La La Land. Uh, okay. Of course. And Hacksaw Ridge, actually. Wow. Really? They both are tied with the exact same rating on IMDb of 8.2. Wow, that's crazy. And 8.2 is a decent rating on IMDb. That's pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. The highest rated film, Shawshank Redemption, is a 9.2. If you get anything at like an 8 or above, you're you're most likely going to be in the top 250 on, that, on IMDb. So. And it's quite hard to get above an 8 on IMDb. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you're in the 7s, you're doing pretty good. But if you're in the 8s, then... You you normally got a great film. So La La Land and Hacksaw Ridge are number one with 8.2. This surprised me, honestly. The second highest rated film is Lion. Really? Lion holds an 8.1. That's crazy. Definitely not my number two pick. <laughs> or mine. <laughs> the third highest, uh, the third film is Arrival. That makes sense. And I guess it's 
technically not third because I took two films and put them in the number one spot. I guess I would have to look at like total, like how many, if La La Land has more ratings than Hacksaw Ridge or something, then maybe that could be called number one. Right. But so I don't want the listeners to be confused when I say that. Um, just to clarify that. But Arrival, yeah. Arrival is rated higher than all the other ones were, were I'm about to tell you. Arrival holds a 8. 8.0. That's crazy. Yep. Number 4 is Manchester by the Sea, which is kind of funny because that was my number 4 also. Huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Manchester holds a 7.9. So these films are really close in proximity to their rating. Hidden Figures is number 5. With that would be my number five. New, 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 new. Hidden <laughs> figures, or depending on how you want to look at it, number six. Uh, yeah. Hidden figures is it, it has a seven point eight, which is surprisingly high. I feel mm-hmm. six is hell or high water with a seven point six. That's pretty low, actually. But... It's pretty low, surprisingly. Yeah, I think this should tell people something. Moonlight is number seven. With a 7.5. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that it was pretty low when I was looking at it a while back. Which is really interesting because it won Best Picture of the Year. And it's funny because my number one was La La Land, which we thought won, but it was a fake out. Yeah, gave the wrong card. Exactly. My number nine won Best Picture of the Year. And it has the second lowest rating on imdb yeah that's kind of crazy nominations and the lowest rated film on imdb for the nominations is fences yeah what is it isn't like a pretty low seven seven point two that's crazy that is crazy low that is getting dangerously close to six territory which really is not very positive and honestly i do think that is because probably because this film is just not very accessible to the masses you're probably right it is pretty hard to find and i don't mean just like as in terms of physical copies i just mean like if you're just gonna go sit down in a theater you know right you're gonna get lost on the dialogue it's really not the easiest film to get into initially which you do kind of need a strong opener like la la land has but if you give it a chance, it is. But it's really not a movie for everybody. And in a way, I can understand that. But in a way, I think it's kind of too bad that it didn't get a little higher recognition. Right. Uh, you said Viola Davis won an Oscar? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad it did get that kind of recognition. And I'm pretty sure all nine of them at least won one Academy Award. Except for Hell or High Water, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think Hell or High Water got anything. I know it got nominated for more than just Best Picture, but... yeah. Well, I didn't do my research on all the nominations and winners. Um, right. I just knew some of the big ones. Right. But it looks like some of our ratings lined up with IMDb a little bit. We were yeah. kind of thinking along those lines, too. Yeah, I was kind of surprised about how consistent our lists were together. I was think I didn't know they'd be so close. They were pretty close. A couple of them were pretty far off. Like, I think Fences, <laughs> Moonlight... Yeah. Everything else kind of like met in the middle or was like spot on or just one or two off. But can we also give recognition that Suicide Squad got an Oscar? Oh, no. (laughs) Can we talk about that for just a second? (laughs) It doesn't matter what Oscar it got because to be honest, it got like something like makeup. Yep, it was makeup. There were only three films in that category and it was either 
like Star Trek Beyond or some random other, like some other random film. So there was no competition. <laughs> but the fact that it got an Oscar. It's really hard to say Suicide Squad is an Academy Award winning film. I, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It does not deserve to join the pantheon of the other winners. Um, and honestly, I don't think the makeup was really that great. It was fine. I, to be fair, to be fair though, well, it's got, what else is going to win? Star Trek Beyond. Like, I didn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> neither did I. Oh, but goodness. yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because that's a thing. I know. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening to our discussion on how we viewed these movies this year, 2017. Um, I'm looking forward to doing a 2018 one. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Hopefully it comes earlier. We can, you know, get to all the films. Because most of them come out during Oscar bait season, which is the worst time of the year. I was very on top of seeing um, the 2016 films because yeah. they were like all in the palace at once. And for those listeners who don't understand the reference, it's the the dollar theater here. So where we're at is the theater that shows movies that have already been released. They're already out of theaters right yeah it's kind of a second run showing right at the tail end of their release so i got to see all the 2016 movies except for like one or two got to see all those and that was really fun to do that whereas with these that's why it's taken so long is because i did not get to see la la land and i saw la la land at the palace right um, that was a really hard movie to get to see because of how limited it was yeah and everything else I saw none of these in theaters because they were all in theaters and that is a lot of cash to dish out. So that's why I was like, this is not going to work. So I saw mostly all of them on streaming or uh, picked them up really cheap on Redbox. Right. Yeah. That same with me. I think I saw maybe like, I saw La La Land twice actually in theaters. I saw Lion. I think that was it. For the ones that I went through, I may have seen one more that I just can't remember. So hopefully next time these movies will come out on video sooner or go to the cheaper theater sooner so we can see these and get this podcast out to you sooner. But we do want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to our thoughts and definitely comment what you think should have won best picture or if you agree with what one best picture or even comment your list we'd really be interested to compare lists um it's really cool to do that and see how close or similar or far apart you know it's like whoa that's totally on the opposite end of the spectrum right right but thank you so much again for listening uh, make sure to stay tuned for more podcasts we definitely want to be bringing you um a lot of more great content here soon one we're definitely uh want to put out as soon as we can is we're going to be kind of doing like a review slash discussion of the Blade Runner of the Blade Runner film. Yeah. Uh, we want to kind of release that around, uh, when Blade Runner 2049 comes out here soon. So we're watching all five cuts of Blade Runner. That's a lot of Blade Runner. <laughs> it is a lot. Don't worry. We will not be reviewing every single cut per se. We're mostly just going to be talking about We will talk about the movie and give an overall rating, but we do kind of want to talk about the differences in the versions because there is some really 
different versions and changes out there. So we're really looking forward to doing that. I think that's most movies don't have five different cuts available. That is incredibly rare. I can only think of one other off the top of my head. I think Alexander has by Oliver Stone with Colin Farrell and whatever her name is, Angelina Jolie and mm-hmm. all the other people whose names I don't remember because I never saw Alexander because I heard it wasn't right. very good. Oliver Stone just kept releasing multiple cuts trying to fix it. So that's the only other one I knew. Whereas this is totally different than that. Uh, it's a very unique experience that we're really looking forward to doing that, bringing that podcast to you. And one other thing that I'll also be releasing soon is an in-depth review, which is something that's a bit new. It's actually taken me a long time to do it. <laughs> Corbin knows what it is. I'll keep it a secret until after I release it. It might be a film you probably haven't heard of. What I'm going to do, which my plan is to release couple of these a year if I can ever get into it is I'll watch a film multiple times and really dive deep into what works in the movie and what doesn't work in the movie as a film and you understand when I release it it's taking me ever since uh, January of last semester to um (laughs) to really write it out and I've watched it five times now so hopefully I'll get that one up soon and quit being you know lazy and getting busy and stuff but yeah, that's something I'd like to try and do on a, like a regular a regular basis is release an in-depth review for a film, regardless of really what it is. But yeah, just to make that announcement. Something hopefully you can get out by October, because I think that would be really fun, is that um, series you were talking about, like, what is it, the seven deadly oh, movies yeah. or seven yeah, okay. worst movies ever or something? And they all kind of have like a horror vibe, don't they? Yeah, okay, so yeah, the next, I forgot about that, yeah, the next thing that I'm still in works of is called The Seven Deadly Movies, Yes. and for those who know me, I really enjoy watching terrible, terrible movies. <laughs> Recently, I, I've been watching a lot different films, and my view on films has changed quite a bit, but one thing my roommates and I love to do a lot is just watch a really bad movie, and we've watched quite a number of doozies <laughs> in the last couple of years. Me and my roommates have all kind of come together. We're like, we're compiling this list of the seven movies that we think are the absolute worst films to have ever been released. Like films that you should never even, never even try to find because they are just that bad. So if I don't get it out by October, I'll try and get it out by January. I feel like January would also work better. Would also a good, yep, January is the dump season of all of Hollywood's terrible films that they don't think will succeed. So... That'd be fun to get out. And that list might, that list will be a, a dynamic list. It won't stay the same uh, because we'll be watching more films and we might add or subtract or move things around, you know. So, right. Yeah. Well, we will keep you definitely listeners updated on when some of these kind of more fun articles we're doing will be coming out instead of just always movie reviews right. or TV reviews or something. We want to do some more kind of creative things like this. Um, just kind of like these discussions also but different things so stay tuned for those absolutely stay tuned for those make sure to follow on social media because everything is posted to our facebook and our twitter silver screen guide and you can always sign up for uh, the email updates i guess email is kind of you know phased out phasing out because of the whole social media thing but yeah if you do want that delivered right to your inbox, that goes out every Friday. So sign up for that, and you'll make sure to not miss anything that way. 
once again, we want to say thank you so much for listening to our discussion over the 2017 Oscar-nominated Best Picture Films, and we look forward to seeing you again next time.